Marking its 40th anniversary in 2022, Blue Door is the largest emergency housing provider in York Region, providing life-saving support to children, youth, adults, seniors, and families at risk or experiencing homelessness. Along with offering emergency housing and housing retention support, in the past two years, Blue Door has expanded its service offering to further work toward preventing and ending homelessness through inclusion, the first supportive housing program for two SLGBTQ plus youth in York Region. Construct, a social enterprise by Blue Door, providing supported skills training to help youth and adults break barriers to employment and secure meaningful careers in construction trades and launching in 2022 a health hub which will include a nurse and in-reach system navigator to help people regain the health and well-being needed to secure and retain permanent housing. Join Blue Door's mission and become part of the solution by learning more at bluedoor.ca. We at On The Way Home would like to acknowledge the original stewards of whose lands this podcast is recorded on. In York Region, we recognize we're on the traditional territories of the Wendat, the Haudenosaunee, and the Anishinaabe peoples, and that this is the treaty lands of the Mississaugas of the Credit. And in Vancouver, we acknowledge that we are on the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, the Musqueam, Squahomish, and Tsleil-Waututh, whose presence on these lands continue to this day. Welcome to On The Way Home, a podcast dedicated to the issues surrounding homelessness and the incredible experts making a difference in the lives of homeless people. Remember to subscribe to the podcast anywhere you're listening and share it with a friend. Welcome to another episode of On The Way Home. I am your host, Michael Braithwaite from Blue Door. And as always, we are joined by not one, but two amazing guests today uh, that I can't wait to get to. Uh, Before we get to our amazing guests, let me tell you a little bit about the good folks that bring you this podcast. Of course, I'm talking about our friends at the Canadian Alliance to End Homelessness. They have a massive conference coming up in November. And now, if you want to get early bird pricing, now's the time to sign up for that. Um, Sign up your team. It is in Toronto this year. It's going to be a great conference. You can either attend virtually if um, you can't travel or don't want to travel, um, and that's your comfort level, or you can attend in person in Toronto. So it will be a mix of both. They have some amazing keynote speakers that are lined up uh, to be to be announced soon, uh, and all, as always, the um, different um, the different people that are presenting and attending. It's just an incredible way. It's an incredible way to meet the best of the best across the nation uh, doing this type of work. So I, I urge you to go sign up. It's the biggest conference of its kind. Hey, if you want to sponsor the event and you want to get in contact with our sector uh it's a great way to do that you have over a thousand people there so check out the website at www.caeh.ca check that out they're all also doing great work around built for zero if you want to become a built for zero community or find out more about that also go to the website and check out the built for zero work that they are doing what is happening at blue door well, you know, it is June, and this podcast will uh, drop in June, and it is Pride Month, of course, um, in Ontario right now, and Blue Door has done a lot of work, some of which you'll hear about from one of our guests today, around supporting to us LGBTQ plus youth uh, in the community, so 
we are celebrating our inclusion program. That is a program uh, that uh, we'll hear more about, but it's a really cool program that's operating in Blue Door, the first of its kind uh, in our region uh, for youth from this community. So it's very, very cool. So that is happening, and pretty soon, through our friends at the region of York who have built a really cool, in a very short amount of time, a really cool transitional housing project that Blue Door has the honor of operating. That is called Passage House. That is going to open in August, creating 18 new units, um, transitional units for people in need. So that is pretty cool. We're excited and pumped about that. So I mentioned it's Pride Month. Let me tell you a bit of a personal story uh, around Pride um, and kind of setting the stage for today's discussion. So about three, four years ago, uh, one of our daughters, listen, we I don't get a lot right as a parent. We make a lot of mistakes. But one of the things we do, I, I'm proud of, is that most nights we're actually able to eat as a family at the table. And about four years ago, we were sitting around at the table. Uh, one of my daughters said, hey, guys, she's 17 at the time. I'm going out on a date Thursday. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Now, our first concern always is, you know, is this a nice person? Are you going to get hurt? Are you ready for that? Emotional maturity, that kind of stuff. And of course, um, so, our, so that's great. And uh, so she said to us, she said, well, her name is, and I think she kind of wanted to drop that to see our reaction. And I, honestly, we didn't really, I, again, it was just a bit, okay, you know, so that's great. Um, and be home by 11 and be safe. That's about it. And the end of conversation, we moved through that, right? It was a bit of a non-event. It was an event because it was like her first date, which was cool, but a non-event. But listen, that is not the case for so many youth and people across our country, around the world. Um, you, you know, that kind of conversation sometimes results in so many youth being asked to leave their home or that home becoming unsafe for them moving forward. Uh, and we found that out throughout the years. So many youth that are leaving care, um, from the 2S LGBTQ plus community uh, do not feel safe or in care because their home wasn't safe, that kind of thing. Uh, and so, you know, it took us a long time to react to this. And when we see the surveys, uh, we know in York region, not one, but two surveys dropped saying, hey, we know there's services out there for youth in crisis, but none of them are specific to my needs. I don't feel safe. I don't feel my needs are being met. And I would sometimes I'll stay out of those services in unsafe circumstances because they're not for me. And it was up to this sector to step up and do something about it. And hey, I'm gonna be honest, we were pretty slow to do so. This isn't something new. But eventually we caught up and we're getting there and we're growing. And today's guests are two great examples of organizations that have stepped up to support youth for the 2S LGBTQ plus community. And so with me today, I have two great guests. And listen, if it sounds like I'm reading their bios, because I mean, listen, my memory is not that great. It is true. It is exactly that. I am reading them to get them right. Uh, one of my colleagues is joining us today. It's Alex Chang. And Alex uses the pronouns he, him. He is the director of programs housing and health at Blue Door uh, in York region. Alex has over 17 years of experience in the social service sector, both in mental health and homelessness sector. He has worked at Blue Door for the past nine years, supporting and developing programs for individuals and families at risk of or experiencing homelessness. Alex has recently led the development of Blue Door's inclusion program and his INN and inclusion, like an in but it's inclusion, pretty crafty, eh? Uh, which provides supportive transitional housing for 2S LGBTQ plus youth in and around York region. Uh, as well, we are joined by our good friends at Trellis and, and representing Trellis, we have Alyssa Jensen, uses the pronoun she, her, uh, who is the case manager for Aura and Iris Place 
uh, Orris Iris Place are two LGBTQ plus housing programs in Calgary, Alberta that operate through a nonprofit organization, which I mentioned, Trellis. Trellis is a uh, just an incredible organization uh, doing big things in Calgary for youth, and this is one of the reasons why they're amazing. Um, Alyssa works closely with young people who are queer and who are experiencing homelessness or at risk of homelessness. Aura has been operating uh, operational for the past five years, and Iris Place is brand new program that started in April 2022. Always advancing, listening to the voices of lived experience and acting on them. So way to go, Trellis. Alyssa has been working in the nonprofit sector for nine years and holds degrees in child and youth care as well as social work. Alyssa is is a queer cis woman who is deeply passionate about supporting her community and overcoming systemic barriers. Alex and Alyssa, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Michael. Thank you. Excited to be here. Awesome. Well, it's great to have you here, and you're, you're doing great work. I can't wait to hear more about it. We start the podcast usually with the same, well, I should say usually always, with the same first question for everyone, because although there's similar themes, it means a little different. The meaning is a little different for everyone. So we're going to start off with Alyssa and then move to Alex. Alyssa, what does home mean to you? Okay. So this is very philosophical. <laughs> The definition of home to me, I think, has always meant safety and belonging, security and shelter. Um, When I feel most at home, it's usually with people who care about me and who I feel like I could be myself around. Um, Or when when I'm in a space um, where I can go to recharge or where I can be myself, um, where I don't have to be on my guard, I feel most safe at home and I really treat it as my sanctuary. So that's what home means to me. Uh, Alisa, no, those are the exact same words that I was going to use, but perhaps I'll approach that question differently because you've really mentioned um, there's a lot of synergies there in terms of your definition and what I was going to say. Belonging is uh, is really the key for me, family, privacy, health. But it gets me thinking about, uh, you know, the people that we serve, that uh, Trellis and that Blue Door, and that they don't have this, right? This is the, the, this is not the concept of home that they have. And these are uh, uh, the same concepts that we're uh, trying to really work hard towards in, in terms of helping them attain as well. It's that fragile nature of home that uh, uh, that we all encounter in, in one way or another. Uh, we need to treasure it. We need to treasure the fact that home is a grounding space, it's a private space. And when you're experiencing homelessness, you don't have that space. You can't just tune out at uh, you know in the evening time and be able to ground yourself and get ready for the next day because you're sharing that space with um, uh, 30, 100 other people and, and, uh, uh, and you don't have to, and you're not able to really tune out and, and get ready again, right? So it really gets me, that the question gets, gets me into that introspective space for sure. And as always, both of your answers did not include talk of four walls and a roof. It really isn't about that structure, right? It's all those things you talked about. It's about family. It's about safety. It's about that being the core. Often when I think of uh, home, it, it's that, you, you know, when you're, you're down in the basement and you're thinking, or, or maybe you're doing renovations and someone says, hey, can we take this out? And you're like, no, 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 that's a support column. Take that out and the whole house can collapse. And that's kind of, you know, it's the core. Home is that core of that. You pull that home piece out, all those other pieces of life, um, you know, whether it's in, in employment, health, those different pieces 
start to fall apart, right? And it's hard to get those back without that main support in place. So thanks for sharing. Uh, Alyssa, I'm hoping you could tell us a little bit more about Trellis. I mentioned it a little bit, but I didn't, didn't do it justice. And then when, when you're done with that, Alex, if you could tell us a little bit about Bluedor. Yes, so if you don't recognize the name Trellis, it's because we are a new agency and that two years ago, um, Boys and Girls Club of Calgary and Aspen merged together to create Trellis. Um, so we actually have a very rich history um, and together we've been around for many years in Calgary. Um, so now we are a nonprofit agency that is really uh, wide reaching in our community. We serve children, youth, families, adults, Really, we, I feel like we do everything. Um, we have employment programs, after school care, group care, foster care, housing. Um, we're in high schools. We have a clinical team. I really feel like anything you think of, we probably do it. <laughs> Wow, Blue Door! Uh, I hear so many synergies with what tre- with uh, with what just Alisa shared about uh, Trellis because we uh, we're a multi services uh, agency located in York, but we also do everything as well, and we're uh, doing so much more. This year we're celebrating our fortieth year, but uh, for most of our history of those forty years, we've been doing emergency housing, which is you know providing safety for for individuals, families, youth uh, that are experiencing homelessness. Uh, but through the last uh, three or four years, I think we. We've uh, changed our direction a little bit because we've realized that it isn't just enough to support people into housing very quickly. Uh, we've realized that uh, when, when we're serving people at, uh, at, at every one of our settings, there are other facets of their lives that we can impact that will, uh, uh, that, will make it, that will make a lasting impact in their housing stability. So now we're focusing on how do we support people uh, uh, in, in terms of housing in the community, providing transitional housing, what is our role in, in being able to develop long-term affordable housing uh, for uh, for the families individuals that we serve uh, health has been a, a big uh, uh, a big issue for us right there's that uh, continuous intersectionality between uh, homelessness and health and just because they're dealing with a crisis when we see them at blue door at our emergency housing uh, sites it doesn't mean that health gets uh, is a secondary uh, consideration I think it's it, it's a prime opportunity I think to have those health conversations and to be able to connect them back to the healthcare system employment and uh, a lot in working with people to get on a living wage has been a focus with us as well through our social enterprise uh, construct which is an amazing program uh, that, that provides training at, uh, uh, for for folks uh, and allows them a, a direct linkage into the trades um, all of that I think I think speaks to the fact that as providers I, I think both locally and nationally um, I think we're all starting to focus on innovation and creativity right uh, we're being asked left, right, and center to uh, to do more with what we have, and we also realize, I think, through uh, you know uh, the, the story that, that that I heard from Elisa and Trellis and and us at Blue Door, um, and that thinking outside the box is really the, the the way forward. How do we do more? What are some of the gaps that we continue to see day to day? And what is our role at each of our respective organizations, communities, to be able to uh, to address these gaps? Thank you for sharing. Both organizations are awesome, doing incredible work. And I think what makes you uh, even better is that it never stops. You never sit back and say, you know, job done, because obviously there's still people in crisis experiencing homelessness uh, and need of help. And you're always listening to those voices of lived experts, lived experience who are saying, you thought you got it right. 
not so much. Here's what you got to pivot and do. And we live, we you know, listen to those as we should, uh, and move forward. So, so knowing that far too many youth who identify as being from the 2S LGBTQ plus community are experiencing homelessness across Canada. I'm hoping you can share uh, with us a little bit about your programs, uh, how they came to be. And, and, you know, Alex, we'll start with you and uh, with uh, the inclusion program, and then we'll move to Alyssa to talk about uh, her awesome programs. Yeah. Too. I mean, for us, as you said, I mean, the work never stops and it's uh, an ever evolving conversations around identifying gaps and needs of people. In terms of the history of, um, of 2S LGBTQ transitional housing programs in York, it's been non-existent until last year. But the conversation has been around for as long as I've been in the field and for as long as I've known you as well, Michael, right? Uh, we know that there's been many studies across the years that have identified uh, this as a, as a gap. Uh, I saw it myself when I was managing our youth shelter program at, uh, at Kevin's Place, where we had youth that came in who identified as part of the community, but uh, but they were, they were very reluctant in accessing our services because it just didn't feel safe. And how could it feel safe? I mean, our, 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 our program is just a four bedroom house uh, with a share with two shared bathroom spaces. And, um, and even in those four bedrooms, we were putting two or three people into, uh, in, into the space, right? Um, that's really not the, the, the way to, uh, to run a service, especially for youth these days. I think uh, people realize that the privacy is uh, not privacy and, uh, and dignity, I think have to be at, at the top uh, part at the top end of that conversation. Um, the two studies that were done here uh, in this region were done by Seneca and CAMH, and they revealed things that really weren't a surprise to us. Um, youth that were uh, that were identified as 2SLGBTQ+, uh, uh, while they were overrepresented nationally uh, in terms of experiencing homelessness, we weren't seeing them at our emergency housing sites because they were, um, uh, they were staying away, they were couch surfing, they were accessing, or they were staying in unsafe situations. Um, and one of the things that I think uh, you you mentioned in, in one of our discussions, Michael, as well, is you know now once you identify the gap, um, oftentimes you know as a group you uh, uh, you start looking at each other to look at you know who's going to take that initiative in terms of stepping up and uh, and doing this. And really, there was no funding for this, but somebody had to do it. And uh, and I think uh, you know uh, we decided a couple of years ago, why don't we do this? Why don't we take a chance? Let's start. Uh, let's start with renting a house in the uh, in uh, in a residential community uh, and um, uh, and run a program for for youth make sure that uh, you know we can rent a house with four bedrooms uh, maybe it's a, a semi-independent living and then uh, and then see the program grow from there of course there was a pandemic that we have to go uh, that we have to navigate through we learned a lot in terms of uh, having to work with landlords but that's really uh, that was really the start of our journey but uh, I'm proud to say that uh, you know a year and a half later uh, we have uh, we have the first uh, the first transitional housing program for 2s LGBTQ plus youth in, uh, in York, um, and we're working with amazing partners like the Odette Foundation and the North Pine Foundation to, uh, to continue to learn and, um, uh, and expand uh, the program, hopefully. Um, so for Aura, I think similar to Alex, we were seeing the same thing in our shelters, um, that we were having a lot of queer youth coming through, that when they left the shelter, there was no safe and affirming places for them to move into. Um, so one of our staff in particular named Ryan really spearheaded this um, six years ago. Um, and a beautiful thing about Trellis is that when the frontline staff speak, the upper management listens and they really hear what we have to say and what we need. 
Um, so a group got together, put a proposal together, Calgary Homeless Foundation um, provided money to us, and we have been operating Aura for over six years now. Um, so we serve 10 youth. We are a scattered site housing first model. Um, so our youth are housed all over the city. And um, we use a harm reduction model. We use a trauma-informed approach when working with our youth. Um, we help them find housing that affirms their gender identity or their sexual orientation. And we provide the necessary supports and resources so that they can build life skills, foster um, natural supports and work towards building independence so that they can graduate from our program and exit homelessness permanently. And then for IRIS, our newest program, um, our director, Kim, met with the North Pine Foundation and they very generously gave us some money. And so since April, we have been operating IRIS Place, which is a semi-independent living. Um, house for three youth and then we have a supportive roommate who lives in the basement and she actually used to be one of our staff in Aura and then transitioned over to Iris so that was a really like beautiful transition for her. Um, yeah it's been slow progress and we've had a lot of learnings along the way but we're slowly building up the Iris program and we're really excited to see where it goes. Yes and we're excited about that too Alyssa. I mean and we're going to talk about learnings as well, because I think, as I said, you can start a program, it doesn't end there. Uh, we always have the best intentions, but sometimes there's some tweaks and different things we have to do or things we thought were going to work that, that don't uh, is the nature of the work we do. Um, you talked a little bit about it, but we want to understand, like, so, you know, for, for the sector that might not say, like, we've got a lot of different services. Why do we ask to have specific services for 2S LGBTQ plus youth? Um, so... so can you talk about why why the need for programs like Iris and uh, Aura, and what are some of the biggest challenges facing queer people in Calgary? Yes, I could talk about this forever. Um, so <laughs> there is a huge need for programs like this. Um, as the research shows, four in 10 people who are experiencing homelessness are a part of the queer community. So that's a big representation of homeless people. Um, and we're finding that these individuals are facing increased barriers when it comes to housing, employment, income support. And with the youth that are coming through Aura, they're not only queer, but they're also typically neurodivergent or BIPOC. And so um, with these like intersecting identities, we're really finding that the instances of discrimination and isolation are increasing. Um, we talk a lot about like psychological homelessness and how that can be even more damaging and physical homelessness and we see that a lot with our youth. Um, I would also say another big challenge is very limited access to healthcare and mental health services that these young people need. Um, there are extremely long wait times to see psychiatrists or counselors. Um, if you're trying to transition, the wait times for gender-affirming surgeries are insane. Like if you want to get top surgery right now, you're probably waiting up to three years for that to happen. And if you want that to happen, you also have to be in safe, stable housing so that you have the aftercare afterwards. Um, so there's just a lot of pieces that go into transitioning. Um, and then I would also say that another big challenge is 
the current shelters and programs we have in our city and I would imagine across Canada are still really operating in the gender binary. So they're very like male or female shelters and housing. Some of our youth don't fit in that. They're non-binary, so they're having or gender diverse and they're having to choose what they're going to present as for where they want to stay. Um, youth who are transitioning sometimes have to go with the gender that was assigned at birth because it's more safe for them to go to those shelters. Um, I had one youth who was like living on a reserve and she had to go to a men's shelter and live there for a year and present as male so that she had somewhere to live until we could get her into the city. Um, so I think there's a lot of like psychological pieces that go into being trans and living on the street and trying to access services that a lot of cisgender people aren't considering. A lot of our systems are very cisnormative and heteronormative. We see a lot of policies and procedures that are really, really harmful um, to our youth. And I know people are trying their best <laughs> and they don't realize what they're doing. Um, so I think a lot of our work at Aura is also like informing the community. We've created a lot of um, trainings at our agency that we give internally and we're hoping to expand externally so that we can really start to break down um, some of these systems so that it's a safer place for everybody to be accessing services. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'll wrap that up there. Construct, a social enterprise by Blue Door, provides high-quality residential and commercial construction and property services in the greater Toronto area. More than a business with a heart. Construct is a real solution to preventing and ending homelessness. Through its eight-week paid skills trades training program, complete with wraparound supports and on-the-job work experience, Construct lifts people out of poverty and into opportunity. To hire Construct for your next project or learn more about Construct's employment program, visit constructgta.ca. No, that's... that's Listen, you know, one of the things I love, Alyssa, about this podcast, selfishly, is I get educated every time by uh, individuals like yourself. So thank you for that. I learned so much. Um, and I, I will have questions later off, off camera just around some of this stuff. But it's incredible. That education awareness piece that you build up, we always hear themes of that whole safety, if I'm going to get healthy, and, and, all, and, and so there's specific needs there. Alex, do you have anything when you look at, uh, is it that different across York region from what Alyssa spoke to in terms of what it looks like and the needs of It's you? not that different at all, Michael. I think uh, I hear a lot of some Areas. And I think it goes down to, you know, be, uh, having services that are accessible to uh, to, uh, to youth, right? As uh, as we mentioned before, and, and it's been the theme. Safety uh, uh, is is one of the main concerns. Uh, uh, services are uh, typically uh, typically traditionally separated in, into into genders. So how do we um, how do we break out of that? How do we uh, design programs that are uh, uh, that uh, that are uh, less barrier for for people to access, for example, and supportive and uh, in uh, supporting that sense of uh, growth and belonging for folks. And let's talk about that setup. You start touching on that. It leads us well into the, so, so, but, you know, we'll start with you, Alex. And, and so you get this funding and you know, the needs there, where the heck do you start? Like what, what things you have to take into consideration before do, trying to get it right? Yeah, I think gate. right out of the gate, the first uh, the first piece in the, is engagement, right? You have to we have to engage with the population of the, of, of the folks that are going to be hopefully benefiting from the program, the the service partners as well, the community. Uh, for us, it was a little bit of a um, uh, it was. Uh, 
a weird time, right? Because we decided to undergo this journey in a pandemic. We needed to um, try and find a space and, uh, and uh, get a landlord on board. So it took us a while uh, to be able to find a space. But even when finding a space, we wanted to make sure that it wasn't uh, that it was a space in the residential air- area that wasn't going to uh, you know p- uh, put people's safety at risk, for example. And it was going to feel like you know what we talked about in uh, at the beginning uh, that it was going to feel like home, right? And what would that model of service be, right? Uh, being realistic in terms of what we're able to be at this moment uh, with uh, with the resources that we have, right? At the same time, taking into account um, you know what we want to be in the future as well. So you know, settling in the model of service of uh, providing uh, uh, youth with a space where they can be semi-independent, uh, where they have uh, um, a peer youth mentor uh, that's going to be able to uh, that they're going to be able to rela- relate to, that they're going to be able to uh, not get guidance from, and uh, and, they're, and that they're going to be able to get uh, some um, uh, navigation from. And um, I, I hate to mention this again, but it's uh, it's really around creating that home environment and creating and, and fostering that sense of independence and, and belonging. And of course, it's uh, it's about working with uh, with partners and communities to make sure that the, the word is out there, learning from programs uh, like um, uh, like the programs at Trellis, like uh, uh, Pride Home in Winnipeg or uh, Sprout House in Toronto, and uh, and being able to uh, 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 to get all the knowledge that we can from all all the research and sharing that knowledge as well. Yeah, thanks for that, Alex. This is funny. You mentioned something key there is that, hey, reach out to others like Trellis who kind of, and Alyssa, you get, you really got the ball rolling in the country uh, around this. And then, you know, we, we looked to Sprout House and I remember talking to Dr. Alex Abramovich and, and uh, he was saying, look, learn from us. Here's all the things we did that we wish we didn't. Uh, if we were to start over and you get that chance to do that, do this. And it was so helpful. Alyssa, any, uh, like when you were setting up the programs. What were the biggest considerations that you took into place? Um, I think a lot of similar considerations that Alex had when setting up his program. Um, I think a really big thing when we considered how to create um, safe and affirming programs was who do we hire and we do our best to hire staff with lived experience and who are a part of the queer community that's really important and essential to us so that our youth can see themselves in us and can see where they can go and how they can change and that when they're having problems they can go and talk to somebody who understands because they've been through it um, so that was a really big consideration for us and then also like making sure we set aside certain funding for things like having a gender gear closet that youth can access so they can get binders or um, packers or shoes or makeup or clothing or whatever they need to feel like they can really be who they are. That was a really big um, consideration for us. And then I think too, just how do we provide the right emotional support to these young people because no matter what they're going to face discrimination we are going to do our best to get them into safe places but that's not always the reality so how do we wrap support around them so that they can still grow and flourish and continue on in their journey and not feel stuck um yeah i think those are our big considerations (laughs) that's awesome considerations so you set up these two programs recently iris uh, what has the response in the calgary community been has it been a positive response challenging we'd love to know 
Uh, it's been amazing. We um, constantly have people going, how can I get my youth into your program? What is the referral process? Are you opening up more beds? Um, so there's always a greater need and people really are trying their best to get um, their youth into our programs, which is really exciting. Um, and I think the most rewarding response has been from the young people. Um, they typically always graduate from our program successfully and they um, always have really positive things to say. They're always so generous with like sharing their stories. Um, you can find a lot of their stories on our website um, about their journey through our programs. Um, and also I think like from the community, the response has been great. We're always partnering with other agencies. And um, another thing that's really awesome is people reach out to us all the time to be like recipients of fundraisers. So I think that's really cool too. Like we'll have GSAs in high schools be like, oh, we chose Aura to donate our money to. So it's just like really sweet things like that. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Alex, what about New York region? What's the response been? Very, very similar experience to what Elisa mentioned as well. I mean, the community has been uh, has been amazing. We uh, uh, we get a lot of uh, uh, a lot of requests for information. We, uh, as Elisa, uh, Elisa mentioned as well, um, uh, we have a lot of people reaching out uh, to want to get involved, want to donate. Um, and when we look back at uh, the response of the youth themselves, the young people themselves has been um, uh, it's, it's been amazing. It's been emotional, I would say. Right. Um, I always uh, remember the first time that uh, that our first youth walked into the program. Right. It was that sense of bewilderment, uh, sense of disbelief. And uh, is this real? I mean, am I going to be able to live in this house? And is it uh, is it an environment where you're not going to have people looking over our shoulders 24 uh, seven uh, sleeping around in the house? Right. Or uh, it was almost tears of joy for people. And um, uh, uh, that first experience, uh, that first youth that we had. Um, uh, she uh, she brought along her uh, her small animal as well, her small dog, and uh, that made us realize too that uh, you know when we look at barriers to programs, um, uh, animal companions are are an important thing for us to consider. And early on in the program, we were, were very fortunate to to have decided you know this is something that we're going to do. We're going to uh, we're going to accommodate uh, uh, people with, uh, uh, with with animals, and it's been amazing because they they, they are these 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 little animals are um, uh, really. They're a source of support that that sometimes we can't match, or they're almost as valuable as the support that they're getting from their peers, right? Um, one example that I have in terms of you know that sense of belonging is that one day uh, our Francesca, our peer mentor at the program, uh, was talking to a new youth that that, that had just left uh, their uh, their family. Uh, when they were in their family situation, they couldn't talk about uh, you know their gender and the fact that yeah, you know uh, they uh, they wanted to look at a gender gender affirmation, right? In uh, lo and behold, in in the living room, we're having a discussion uh, around Florida and what's happening there. And and she, uh, and at the time, she was like, "Wow." Are you having this discussion? Is this can I really can I really express my feelings and tell you what I'm what I'm actually thinking about? Because in my family, I wouldn't have ever been able to bring this up, right? So I think that uh, uh, that really ties into I guess the response from the youth is it's a safe space, it's a space that we can be ourselves now, and, and that's more that's a priceless. Um, I think that's priceless for them. 
Now, I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole. What, what I think Alex was referring to around that conversation was that don't say gay uh, piece. And, and I think, you know, sometimes with pride, people will say, you know, do we still need pride if, if this is kind of a part of society we're opening up and the changes are happening? And that is the exact reason, well, one of the many reasons why we still need pride. If you do not think... Uh, transphobia homophobia still exists it absolutely does and it's unfortunate um and it's through you know it should all year round but through activities through pride that you open up awareness inclusivity uh, and really embrace things so yes and, and to have those conversations that uh where people feel safe is uh is amazing so thank you alex you touched on it maybe you could dive a little deeper i mentioned this before every time we do programming there's learnings along the way you mentioned pets for our sector to understand too and it's been a long time that you know pets represent family for so many people and if you say listen this program is not open to that you're going to have youth or adults or anyone with the pets say well then i'll stay outside i wouldn't leave my family member outside would you you know so we learn and we adapt and that's so cool that and i i you know for, i visited the home yesterday beautiful um and the little dog is so cute i mean i'm a dog person to begin with so it just that's awesome but the, the smiles it brought to everyone uh in the room i uh, just running around the, the little dog uh anyways learnings Alex, if you could start talking about a few of the things you've learned and had to uh, grow through, and then we'll go to um, I don't think I have enough time to go through all the learnings that, that, that we've had, because <laughs> it, you know, every day has been filled with uh, discovery for, uh, for us, both at a personal level with the youth, but, but also from an organizational and community level. Um, I think I'll, I'll go back to something that you said, uh, the visit to the home yesterday, for example. I'm going to tie it back to being trauma-informed and being uh, and being flexible as well, uh, because the, you know the visit had a Purpose yesterday, we wanted to showcase uh, in, uh, the inclusion program uh, to uh, uh, to the community and also to uh, uh, to our funder. But one of the youth uh, were not in a very good place in the morning, and we were all thinking about, you know, what, what should we do? How should we go forward forward with this? Right? Um, we were able to navigate through that um, uh, with a lot of flexibility and um, a thunderstorm later. Uh, you know, we we were able to move inside to be very respectful, and the youth joined us in that conversation. But what really touched me about, about that, that that morning and uh, and really reinforce all the work that we've been doing in the program is that by the end of our conversation when we were sitting outside in the backyard the youth that was really struggling and um, uh, in in uh, was having a really hard time they were the one that walked out with uh, with their little pet at the at, at the very end and joined you know the discussion and that conversation and uh, and really um, emotionally I was I was really put up, up uh, I, I was really put off put off guard I mean uh, not off guard, but uh, but it was it was a bit emotional for me because it kind of reaffirmed the fact that you know this place is safe. Um, they 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 feel like they belong and they feel like they can be themselves, whether or not they're having a bad day or they're having a good day. Um, um, uh, they're 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 just able to they're just able to just lift their lift their lives. So I think that's part of uh, the the learning that flexibility that uh, being able to you know meet people where they're at. Um, Lisa mentioned harm reduction and. Uh, as well, and that's uh, something that we're always considering with uh, within each individual as well. But um, you know, looking forward, I mean, it's 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 also about you know um, what 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 can we do to uh, as uh, as a collective uh, across you know locally and across the country to learn from each other. And I think our engagement with North Pine, for example, and with Trellis through through that learning community, I think it's going to go a long way because we're going to be able to learn from each other as well as we uh, as we keep going. 
for sure. Alyssa, what about learnings uh, for Aura and, and uh, Iris? Yeah, I would say um, Aura, we had a really big learning experience in the beginning because we started out as a host homes model. Um, a lot of places across Canada still think that we're a host homes model. We haven't really been able to get out yet that we're scattered site. Um, but we learned very quickly with the youth coming into the program that they preferred independence and that they sometimes had just come from a family environment that didn't work so they didn't want to go back into another one and try it out again. Um, so we changed our model and listened to the needs of the youth and now we're scattered site. Um, Iris Place has also been a learning experience for us. We designed it as a semi-independent living environment where the case manager would be there like maybe three days a week and then they had the supportive roommate. Um, but with the referrals that we're getting, we're really seeing what we think are like the long-term impacts of the pandemic on complex mental health. Um, the referrals are more complex than we had anticipated. So we're already like talking about how to increase more supports and really um, meet the needs of the youth. And it probably won't be as independent as we had anticipated, um, but that's okay. Uh, I think it's really, that's the beauty of like starting a program is even like two weeks in, you're already like, oh, okay, this is what we have to change. There's already, this isn't gonna work the way that we had imagined it was going to. Um, and then I think another big learning, particularly when working with the queer community is how to foster um, senses of like a sense of community, especially in a scattered site model. So we have like a youth group. We don't run it right now because of the pandemic, but hopefully in the fall we'll be running it again. Um, so we run a youth group to evenings a month um, where all of the youth or any youth across our agency who are queer can come and spend time together and do activities or build life skills. Um, and we learned through that that like, the youth really flourished. They found friends, they found community, um, and they weren't feeling as socially isolated. So, yeah. Awesome. I love what you're saying. I mean, these programs are, are fluid in a sense that always changing, right? Because the needs change as well. You have a pandemic, mental health needs, different needs come out, like it's just more and more uh, less independent as you're saying. So very cool that you're flexible in that way. So we are not all the way there. We're not saying, hey, we've got inclusion, we've got Iris, we've got Aura, and job done. Like this, There's still some huge gaps that need to be addressed. Um, I'm hoping that, uh, Lisa, we'll start with you. What are some of the gaps you're seeing that you hope to address in the future? And Alex, if you wanna add on after that would be great. Um, some of the gaps I would say we're seeing in Alberta is that we need more affirming supports, not just tolerating. Um, we really need places that um, accept our youth for who they are. Um, I think one gap that we've really noticed over the last year and that we're uh, currently pushing for in our agency is increased um, family and natural support for youth because the, the really big narrative that is put out, I would say by the media, is that when you come out, your family is gonna reject you. Um, so these young people, I was a, one of the young people once, I thought my family was gonna leave me, um, they didn't. But there is that fear, that inherent fear, and we see it in our young people and they come out and maybe their parents initially don't have a great reaction. Um, so now the youth is like, oh my God, I can't be here, I need somewhere else to live. They start couch surfing 
and then they get referred to our program and they're only like 15, 16, 17. But really what they need is a family support worker that can talk to the parents, help them process and divert the youth from homelessness and keep them in the home and just provide some like emotional support for the family because it is a process for families to go through when somebody comes out. Um, so we're really pushing for that because we would love to keep mostly our under 18s still at home, still with their families, because when we take them and put them into scattered site, we're actually increasing the vulnerability. They're at risk for so many other things that they weren't at risk for when they were living with their families. Um, so I would say that's one of the biggest gaps. We're slowly trying to change the narrative that coming out is still scary, but it doesn't always mean that you're gonna be rejected by your family. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny, but like I always say quite often that we don't deal in after school specials, right? It's not, it's a process. And, and as you said, like sometimes you got to give uh, the parents a beat for them to understand. It's not rejection. It's just unaware, like unaware. I don't know. I have a ton of questions and you can work through that. You're right. The best place, this is in foster care too. They always say, we, if we can, we want to keep youth we want to keep young people with their, their families right the last case scenario is too and and what you're talking about too is diversion and prevention too is like going into the shelter system into this system it's a slippery slope if we can prevent that and keep families together when it's safe and i hear you saying that and when we can we absolutely want to do that so very cool alex what are you seeing as uh, some of the gaps or some of the things that you have said hey we've seen this either us or our partners, we want to work with others to yeah, address. We've it. touched on a, a little bit of this already, but I think uh, demand is going to be a gap for us. I mean, we're a small program that serves uh, uh, for youth at this moment and semi-independently. I mean, Alisa mentioned that uh, uh, this earlier around the support that the youth need. Uh, what we're finding is that, uh, is that not everyone uh, will thrive semi-independently as well, right? And one of the things that we're looking at is how do we fill that gap? How do we, um, uh, how do we also design uh, a continuum to include where uh, youth that need much more support can also be served and can also uh, uh, can also be served in a, in a, in a way that uh, uh, that they can access you know uh, much more intensive supports than we're able to provide at this moment as well because it's, it's a bit of a continuum I think for us right uh, mental health of course is a, is a, is a big theme uh, with um, uh, with youth but with the, with every population as well is uh, you know how do we uh, how do we ensure that the, the, the youth are able to uh, you know access the mental health supports that they need uh, gender affirmation, uh, healthcare supports. Um, how do we work with uh, within our local systems to ensure that uh, uh, that those gaps uh, are, are are closed up and that we don't have to wait years on end uh, to be able to access services, uh, for example. And for us as a program, because we're so new, continuing that that uh, that outreach in the community so that uh, people know, at least here in York, uh, that that we're here, right? And hopefully, as we grow, we'll we'll, we'll have more spaces that people can. That can access as well and meet uh, some of that demand that we're seeing. Yes, and I hear you both with, with hopes for the future, growing, filling those gaps. It's so cool. Uh, listen, Alex, if people want to find out more about Blue Door and inclusion, where do they go? Uh, they can come to our website, bluedoor.ca. Uh, they can email us directly at info at bluedoor.ca. And we have a great, uh, we have a social media presence as well, Blue Door uh, support uh, through uh, Facebook and, uh, and Twitter. And of course, uh, listening to, uh, to this podcast as well, right? So yeah. 
Very cool. Alyssa, what about Trellis and your wonderful programs? If you know someone's listening from the sector and says, I wanna I wanna duplicate that program in uh, Yellowknife. How do they how do they check it out? Find out more. Yeah, so um, you can check out our website at growwithtrellis.ca. All of our programs are on there and our contact information is on there. Um, we also have a Twitter and an Instagram um, that's Grow with Trellis. So I encourage everyone to look at those. Very cool. Well, thank you so much uh, for coming on today, for taking the time, for your leadership and making sure these programs uh, are, are serving um, to us LGBTQ plus youth. We know that when we do point of time counts, uh, most, most of the time it's 25 to 30% of people experiencing homelessness, especially youth, identify as being from the community uh, and with, with different and specific needs that we need to address. You are doing that work uh, and it is so, so appreciated. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show and for the great work you do. Thank you so much, Michael. Awesome. Well, hey, we're, we're so, we always are celebrating Pride uh, at uh, On the Way Home year-round, um, but we want to bring special attention, of course, uh, during the month of June uh, to all the great work that's happening. We're not done. Even when we look at, at Blue Door, one of the things Alex talked about is, um, you know, we, we have youth that come into the program that we actually can't serve because their needs are higher. They need 24-7 attention. Uh, they need... Uh, more of an emergency type of program and that doesn't exist so that might be our next step right and we just never say hey we don't have the resource we don't we are this is a need let's figure out how we're going to do this and that's what i love about my team uh, that's what i love about reaching out to folks at trellis too they they share that uh, enthusiasm about we need to get this done and let's do it together stronger if you have something designed that's working let's share uh, and you see that collaboration worldwide around some of these issues is incredible. So happy Pride, everyone. Uh, I hope you really enjoyed this episode. And if you want to find out more and maybe start up uh, your own housing to support programs for 2S LGBTQ plus youth or seniors or adults, um, you know, reach out to Alex at Epludor or Alyssa at Trellis. Uh, they can absolutely help guide you. Um, and let, let's continue this work uh, throughout the country and make it consistent and learn from each other. Two great guests, another great episode, and that will be no different on the next one when it drops next week. We will see you next time. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com. Produced by Cryer Media and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company.